everybody, and welcome to this installment of the TCU Neely School of Business Real Estate Webinar. My name is Carl Pankratz, and I'm an adjunct professor at TCU, and I'm also the president and managing director of Blackacre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. So we have a great guest that I can't wait to get started, and we're going to speak a little industrial real estate today. But before we do that, I'm going to bring in my co-pilot, my co-host, the reason we do this every week. Christina Rangel-Batista. Christina, what the heck is happening on that TCU campus? Well, we are in full swing, as you are with teaching classes right now. We are um, interviewing away for our fall cohort. We've got our current students um, back on campus or either, uh, you know, attending class virtually. Um, and we are really rocking and rolling, kind of excited to see students around campus. Um, and, and enjoying it. And then we've got lots of traction for our MBA programs. So I'm assistant director of recruiting and admissions for MBA programs at TCU. And we focus primarily with our working professional students who work full-time and go to class in the evenings, which is really exciting um, and have the opportunity to take classes um, that are under a number of functional specializations and in industries like real estate. And so a number of our students take classes with Carl as they work their way through the program, have interest in the real estate industry and or are in it. Um, and so this weekly series is an awesome opportunity for front, you know, Horn Frog friends, current students, alumni to tune in um, and learn a little bit more. So I'm excited to be here. Um, again, we are, we are busy. So I've been interviewing all day and have a couple of things going on this evening. So I'll be popping off sooner than later, but Summit, we're so excited to see you and thanks for joining us. These are always fantastic to be a part of. Yeah, Christina, I'll just, I know you have to run, but I'll say real quick, just, uh, I'm blown away again by the talent in my class this semester. I mean, it's it's wild how how you'll have kind of people that are involved in the leadership program um, at you know call it Lockheed or some of the area companies, and and then mixed with you know people with other working experience from other incredible industries, and it's it's just kind of you know I'm I'm, I'm just wowed even you know during COVID when I'm sure recruiting was difficult to have as much talent and as many you know just a diversity of skill sets and talents and I just, man, I, I just can't say enough good things about the quality of student that I'm seeing this semester. We're pretty proud of them. You know, we've definitely got diverse student, diverse makeup of this cohort that's coming in. And so we've got folks who are, you know, in commercial real estate at JLL, and we've got other folks at BNSF and Lockheed Martin American Airlines who maybe have, you know, started buying their own property and, you know, managing their own rentals and are just interested in just learning more um, about all sides of kind of the real estate industry. And so I love that they're all finding their way to your class, which is exciting. And you're doing some really great things in there with guest speakers and some simulations and things that they're able to take part of. So um, having faculty that are really excited to have them in the classroom and then having students that are really enthusiastic about learning more and, and join us at these weekly podcasts is um, great. So it, it is a big win-win all the way around. Yeah, Christina, that's great. Well, hey, go Frogs and, and hope to see you next week. Thank you, Christina. Awesome. And you know, well, we get a Red Raider every once in a while, so we love it, you know. Love it. We'll, we'll take <laughs> red. That's right. Welcome y'all. Have a good, good rest of the evening. Thanks. Great. And, you know, I, uh, you know, as Christina comes off, I, uh, you know, as, as a, you know, a teacher this semester where, you know, my class this semester is real estate acquisitions and development. And uh, it's really fun to see the, the quality of guest speaker that we've had. And, uh, you know, this week our class is focusing on underwriting and, uh, you know, I'm bringing in from New York uh, a team called Red IQ that, uh, has, has built a software that allows you just to upload a rent roll in a T12 and it promulgates kind of your underwriting model, which is kind of neat. And, you know, we're going to go through and talk about expenses and income. So it's going to be a great week. But um, with that, 
Uh, I want to bring in uh, somebody whose career I've been following for a while in Summit Hogue. Uh, a little bit about Summit. Summit grew up on a farm in Brownfield, Texas, where his family's been farming for over 100 years. He attended Texas Tech University, where he walked on the football team and later earned a full ride, uh, which, as a side note, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible the way he did it. He basically just, you know, got to the head coach and just sprinted in front of him. He saw his speed and says, you know, sign that kid up. And, you know, it's not easy being a walk-on, but Summit found a way to, to both get on the team as a walk-on and eventually make it, a, you know, on the field. So it's pretty exciting. He got his degree in agricultural, thinking he's going to be a farmer, but he ended up moving to Dallas and being in commercial real estate. Summit founded Grow Real Estate Partners in the Grow Network in 2020, where he specializes in working with 3PL companies across the country in a number of different ways. He integrates himself into the business model of each client and focuses on helping them manage their real estate portfolio while also working to build their business and fill up their warehouses. Aside from his responsibilities at Grow, Summit is on the leadership team of Wingman Industries Dallas and a mentor of their championship hope. Summit, glad you're here. Uh, welcome to the TCU podcast. And if you don't mind, just you know, let's just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. So we uh, we covered covered a little bit of it there, but like you said, I, I grew up on a cotton farm outside of Lubbock, um, farming the same land for over a hundred years. And I thought, man, I'm 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 going to be a farmer. So I got my degree in uh, viticulture, which is actually the study of wine grapes. And uh, I thought, all right, I'm going to build a vineyard with my dad and then I'm going to be a cotton farmer. And that's, that's going to be the life. And uh, shortly after I graduated, my dad was basically like, son, you, you got to get out of here. The, the cotton price is low. Your brother's getting going. And it just doesn't make sense to be a farmer right now. So um, I took off and packed a Penske truck and drove to Dallas and just started swinging. I didn't know anybody out here. I just was like, man, if there's, if there's anywhere you can go get a good job or at least get started in something, it's, it's, it's Dallas. And, uh, so I came out here and I ended up working at, uh, a company called capital asset resources. And I was basically a bank broker. And, uh, you know, I would take companies that were looking for financing for, you know, all kinds of equipment. And then I would take it and sell it to a bank and, um, that was really it. And I, I, it was a good business and I did enjoy it. Uh, but I, it just, it wasn't really for me. And the more that I did it, I did it for about two years and I was kind of like, all right, this is, uh, this really isn't the, the thing that, that I'm called to do. And, and I, I was at wingman ministries, um, which is like a, a Christian based men's group out in grapevine. And I met a guy named Chad Hennings and Kyle Jacobs who own Rubicon representation. And uh, they they asked me to come in and, and sit down with them and talk through joining a brokerage team and getting into commercial real estate. And I honestly didn't even know the first thing about it when I walked in. That was probably three and a half years ago now, maybe four. And uh, just hit the ground running. They, they basically gave me a desk, a phone, a computer and said, all right, you're going to go into this market and you're going to chase industrial deals. Well, for some, some, before we continue, man, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. So first of all, you know, going back to your story, you know, not a lot of people understand uh, the quality of grapes uh, coming out of Brownfield. So, you know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's kind of wild to think, you know, I'm from Lubbock and, uh, you know, a lot of times now you'll pick up a wine bottle and you'll see the High Plains. Yep. I was like, High Plains? Well, I mean, well, like, wow, what, you know. Is that, is that France, you know, and it turns out it's, it's Lubbock and a lot of times yep. Brownfield. And what's crazy is I was up there and, 
a lot of, I guess, you know, they're saying that a lot of the vineyards in Fredericksburg actually buy grapes from Brownfield. Yep. So Brownfield actually has a really nice grape community. Yeah. So Brownfield, so Terry County is the leading producer of grapes in the state of Texas by far. Um, and, and like you said, you go down to the Fredericksburg wineries, they're going to have a few, they're going to have vineyards around their winery, but it's more for show and they do produce grapes, but the, the primary source of grapes in the state of Texas come from Brownfield, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So and, literally you could have said you grew up in the South of France, right? I mean, yeah, it's kind of yeah. the same thing. So it's, just, it's honestly, if you look at it, um, it, we have the same climate sort of as, as Spain. It's hot days, cool nights, deep sandy loam soil, um, light rain. I mean, we don't get much rain, so you can really control the, 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 the amount of water each vine gets. So it's, there's a, I can talk about that for two hours. So I, I, uh, yeah, don't, don't get me started on grapes. I'm, I'm a big fan of grapes. And now, and you know, in the, in the, in the industry I'm in now, meaning real estate, I mean, I basically for Christmas every year, I, I send bottles of wine to all my clients all over the country. Um, with a note that, you know, explains, Hey, I, I hand planted every single vine that, that was, you know, every grape that's in this bottle. And, you know, I wanted you to have it. It's it just, it's just a whole other level of a Christmas gift because um, there's just a lot of sweat that went into it and it's, it's pretty cool, but. Well, hopefully not that actually went into it. Yeah. Uh, they didn't go into it. Okay. It went, it went into clear. the process of it. <laughs> okay. That's great. It's great. You know, I, I just bring that up because, you know, you know, it all boils down to relationships and, and uh, you know, number one, it's kind of, you know, being able to, talk about grapes and all this kind of sometimes is, is that connection where you know, now you've kind of found some kind of middle ground where maybe you find somebody else that likes wine, you have a middle point, you get to know each other. So that's kind of the first person I introduced, first reason I introduced that. But the second reason I kind of bring that up is, you know, what you just mentioned at how you got to Rubicon and it was, uh, you know, you were at a, you were at a, you know, a men's kind of Christian group. Obviously those, those guys saw something in you. You know, so you'd probably given them a reason for them wanting to help you. Um, and so now, obviously, they take a chance on someone that has no real estate experience, which is the question I get a lot of. Hey, I have no real estate experience. How do I get in the business? And a lot of times it's all about relationships. You're spot on with that, man. Like it's the real estate business is wild and it's it's tough. To, it, the barrier to entry is you know, it, it looks fancy and it looks like, man, I really want to get into that. But the barrier to entry is real. And it is, it is a very, very tough to get in and, and, and get your business going because there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of help. Like nobody's going to sit there and hold your hand. They may teach you a couple of things, but it's, it's, it's a true entrepreneurship type business because you ha nobody's going to make it happen, but you, I mean, it's, it just is what it is. Hundred percent commission. So they're gonna they're gonna say, hey, go, go make it happen. If you don't, then get out of here. But that's kind of the way that it is. Kill or be killed type business. Now let's pause to hear from today's sponsor. Apartment owners have a lot on their plate. Dealing with lenders doesn't need to be one of them. At Blackacre Commercial, our team is comprised of individuals with high level experience in real estate law, title insurance, city council, and acquisitions. Thus. Unlike other mortgage brokers, we not only get you a great loan, we get you to close. Whether you are looking for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, Bridge, or Life Company loans, we are ready to help. Let Blackacre Commercial's national network of lenders and equity providers handle your next apartment refinance or acquisition. For more information, give us a call, 806-438-7194, or visit us at blackacrecommercial.com.
Yeah. All right. So flash forward. So you have a phone, you have a desk, go get it. So what are some of the tips that kind of helped you be successful? Yeah. So man, when you, when they give you, this is, this is kind of, you, you get a desk, a phone, a computer, they get a market and the traditional way of doing commercial real estate brokerage is, all right, you're going to go door to door to door to door and just walk in and gather as much information as you can. When's your lease expiration of who's your, you know, like how much term do you have left and when do you sign the lease and um, do you need to expand? Do you just get as much information out of them as you can? Nine times out of 10, they, they, you don't even get past the gatekeeper. They slam the door in your face and tell you to pound sand and get out of here. And um, so it's kind of a beating, man. The first, first year of going door to door to door, I call it your red shirt season um, because you're really just going and trying to figure out how am I going to convince this business owner to trust me to make a multi-million dollar decision when I have never done it before. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's kind of the, the, the bootstrapping it way to do it. And there's other ways to do it where you go to a CBRE or a JLL and, you know, you get in and you're an analyst for two years and then you're working on a lot of stuff with some other folks and then you're on a team and you kind of do it that way. Right. That's, that's probably a, that's probably the safe way to go. Meaning you're, you, it's tough to get in there, but it's probably safer. The, um, the real risky bootstrapping way is just go into a small shop and then going door to door pounding the pavement. And it's, it's pretty brutal. But for me, I, I kept going door to door and getting told to, you know, get out of here. And, you know, I already have a broker. I've used the same broker for 20 years. And I'm like, man, how do I beat the guy that's been out here for 20 years pounding the pavement? Like what, what can I do different? And on top of that, I don't know that it's, specializing in a specific market. Maybe that's what everybody else is doing. So maybe I separate myself by specializing in an industry rather than a market. And by specializing in an industry, now I can walk in and I can speak their language. I know what their business is. I know how they do it, why they do it, what they're chasing and, and, and the, the challenges they're facing so that I know how to solve those problems for them. And then they, they, they're more apt to talk to you that way rather than me just walking in being the real estate guy that doesn't know anything about their business, right? So I felt like in commercial real estate, there's a huge, huge plus to know everything about somebody's business model, why they do what they do, and the challenges they face and be able to solve all those problems. And that's really where my business kicked off, just took off. Yeah, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about that, because I think in order to be successful and what I've, you know, we've seen on this podcast and what I've experienced in life is you just, it's, you got to be different. It's just hard to go head to head you know, with somebody doing the exact same thing, it's it's kind of like, how am I different, right? I mean, the weird example is bakeries. You know, you go to the Slayton Bakery out by Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> and they have these fingerprint cookies, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's basically sugar print with like weird icing on it, but like people flock to it because it's just like a, a weird branded thing. And you can talk mm -hmm. about just, you know, there's all kinds of bakeries in here and, you know, it's, it's kind of a, how do you make yourself different? And uh, so, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, you know, when I, when I first heard that on a different podcast that you brought up, as far as I'm going to understand the industry, I'm going to attack it. You know, think about it. It's like, you want to help somebody that's helping you. So if somebody's giving you business and you want to try to help them get business. So, I mean, it, exactly. it, it makes perfect sense, but you know, you mentioned that, you know, it's kind of your bootstrap and red shirt season. It's hard to go out there. Well, it's even harder to start your own business. You know, so before we kind of get into the market as a whole, you know, let's talk about, you know, you've, you know, Rubicon had a name. So at least there was a flag behind you. 
But, you know, all of a sudden you say, you know what, I'm good at what I do. I'm starting to get traction. Let's, you know, I'm going to start a company called Grow. So let's talk about that. How'd you start it? And kind of let's talk about how did you figure out who to partner with? Yeah, so great question. So Rubicon is a wonderful firm. They're they're a tenant representation firm in Dallas that um, they specialize in in tenant rep and they specialize in your market, right? You're you're they're traditional. So it's going door to door to door and that's the way they like to do things. And when I started talking through, hey, I have this idea, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try using LinkedIn and I'm gonna try doing, you know, this strategic way of getting these guys on the phone and and learning more of an industry. And I kind of got the, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work, man. You need to, you need to go with what's blocking and tackling what's proven the the way that this thing is supposed to go, go back out to the market, go cold calling, walking door to door and picking up the phones. And, um, you know, it's a hundred percent commission. So I kind of just took that with a grain of salt. Like, you know what? I, I appreciate that, but I really think this is going to work. So with that, I, I did that over about a year and a half or two years after my, I did a full year of ground and pounds, just going door to door. And I was like, I'm getting nowhere here. And then the next year and a half is when I finally was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to think outside the box. I'm going to really pursue this industry thing and see how this goes. And when I closed my first deal in, in uh, Southern California, that was the first big deal I did with kind of this new model. Um, the Rubicon guys were like, wait, hold on, walk us through how you did that, you know, talk to the company. So I got up and told the company how I did it. And, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't really received, like nobody really kind of adopted it. They just kind of like, Oh, good for you, man. You know, keep going. And, uh, and that's okay. That's, that's not their, that's not their forte. They're, they're ground and pound tenant rep brokers in Dallas and that's what they want to be. So, um, as I kept going, I kept building this business and I just kept, I kept getting more and more clients around the country and I was flying here and flying there and doing a deal in Chicago, doing one in, in Dallas and LA and Atlanta, all over the place, Kansas city. And finally I just, you know, I'm like, man, I'm, I created this sort of model that I have. Right. So I, I, I'm sitting here, my biggest expense is really, you know, paying this, this brokerage firm, the, the splits that I have to pay them. That's my biggest expense because they didn't help me do what I'm doing. They're not giving me accounts. They're not teaching me anything. It was just kind of like, they were just a platform that I was using as a broker. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to, that's where my decision was made. It was like, man, I got to go, I'm going to go do this thing on my own and, and I'm going to keep building it and I'm going to expand on the grow network side of things, which is a whole separate, you know, it's another business model. It's two businesses running together is what our company is, what grow is. And uh, so I went and got the website you know, went and got the, the, the people around me and, uh, went and got an office and left Rubicon and started this thing and got it rocking and rolling. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I, I can't say enough about that business plan and it's working out and it's, uh, it's in the middle of one of the hottest real estate asset types that you could want. You know, I think on this podcast and, you know, we've talked so much about apartments and apartments are hot. But multi or industrial is, is hot for so many different reasons, whether you're talking about how do you do cold storage for the vaccines? How are you going to build you know, distribution for Amazon or one of Amazon's partners? You know, small businesses that are growing in a number of different areas, you know, industrial is fitting so many needs. And in some cases, the, the retail of today are really the, the many industrial spaces of tomorrow. So, you know, kind of when you're looking at that space now, what excites you about the future of industrial? 
Yeah. So that's, that's another reason why I took off, right? Because I'm going, I'm looking at what's happening in the world. COVID accelerated the growth of e-commerce by 10 years. So think about it. Then the young folks out there, we're all, our generation, they're, they're all buying things online. It's pretty normal, right? We're, we've all done it. Uh, we like Amazon. We like buying something that shows up the next day. Cool. There's an entire generation of folks that had never bought anything online. They were traditional in their ways and they wanted to go to the store. The older generations that are like, no, I don't want to learn how to buy online. I'm not buying online. I am going to the store and I'm going to go see my guy at the grocery store. COVID hits. What happens? Nobody can leave their house. So all of those people had to learn how to buy things online. One, two, they've got money. So it's almost like they're getting that first experience of Christmas when you open your door and you see the package and you're like, yes, you know, you want to go open it up. And that generation of people has been buying things like crazy online. So you had it, you had an entire generation and then you add everybody can't leave their house. So e-commerce just explodes. So what that means is the amount of industrial space we need in the U S was just doubled in size compared to what we have today. So it's, it's just the strongest asset class. It's growing like crazy and, and it's not going anywhere. I mean, people are going to be bringing things in and shipping them direct to consumer. Like you said, retail is going the other direction and, you know, multifamily is booming. Um, office is kind of going the other direction. So every institutional landlord out there has kind of shifted their funds and their focus from if they were retail and office, they're all flipping to industrial and multifamily, but industrial is just, off the charts right now. And that's, that's really where uh, my head was at when I left to start this and to, and to ride that wave. I bet, I bet the next five or 10 years, you're going to see, you're going to see millions and millions and millions and millions of square feet of warehouse space be built and absorbed as soon as they break ground across the country, especially in these major markets like Dallas and uh, LA and Indianapolis, Jersey, Atlanta, those, those Chicago, those type markets, they're just, they're, it's not slowing down at all. Hmm. So focus on the more granular, obviously a lot of your business is devoted to representing tenants, which is you know fundamentally different than representing landlords, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, tenants are all going to have specific needs. And a lot of times, you know, you really have to understand their business plan to understand mm -hmm. how to help them with their lease, help them look for space. Uh, you know, great example is I negotiated a 30,000 square foot warehouse space not too long ago from an, from as an attorney. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we obviously were very cognizant of is this particular company had a lot of shipments that come in from China. Well, mm -hmm. there's no telling when the trucks are going to be coming in. And so this space initially had uh, restrictions on it that said no traffic, you know, after, you know, between 9 p.m. and, and 8 a.m. Well, you know, obviously our tenant, that was a deal killer because they don't know when these shipments are coming in. So we had to focus on that. But, you know, from your purview, you know, what are maybe some of the other items that you've really seen tenants look for as you're, you know, negotiating space? Yeah. So the guys that I specifically work with, 3PLs, fulfillment companies, um, some of their biggest challenges are going in and the landlord saying, hey, we want you to sign a five-year lease on a hundred thousand square feet. Okay. Well, they're sitting here going, well, I have a client that's going to take me into 30,000 square feet and they're signing a one-year contract with me. So what's tough is sometimes these three PLs have to go in and 
and bite off a lot more space and commit to a lot more term than they actually have committed to them. So they're really betting on themselves there. So one of the ways that we get around that is we go into markets like, you know, Dallas or whatever. And I've got a 3PL that says, hey, I've got an account. Um, it's 100,000 square feet, but I'm going to really probably need around 300,000 square feet. So we'll go find a building that's maybe half a million and we'll go to the landlord and say, Here, here's, here's how this is. Here's how we see this going. We, we'll sign a lease on 100,000 square feet and we want to write a first refusal on, you know, the rest of the, the, the 300,000 square feet. Um, but we also want an expansion option. I want to be able to expand bay by bay by bay as I need it, and it's coterminous and at the same rate that I'm paying, um, you can still market the space. So you put it on the market. If you end up, I have a right of first refusal. So if you put it on the market and somebody wants to take it, I still have the right to take it. But if it's on the market and nobody's coming to look for it, I can expand bay by bay by bay. So that gives the 3PL tons of just total flexibility where they can they can come in with their client and then they got they can look to the other end of that building I call it the gray haze effect. And typically the gray haze effect is an awful thing, right? Because if a 3PL walks out there, he's got a 300,000 foot space and a lot of open space, he's losing money big time. So I call the gray haze effect to the landlord. I say it in a way that's like, well, let us take a hundred and give us these terms where we can grow bay by bay. And we have a rover. And I'm saying, I guarantee you that when this guy walks out there and he sees all the way to the other end of that building, he's going to fill it up. He's going he's gonna to sell like there's no tomorrow and he's going to fill this building up and you're going to have a full building tenant, but I need you to bet on us a little bit. Let us take a hundred. Don't build a demising wall. Don't spend the money on it because you're not going to need it. We're going to fill the building up and let us grow bay by bay into this space. And a lot of times the developers, when they there's a lot of developers that'll build an industrial building, lease it, and then flip it to a REIT, right? Um, those are the guys that are typically the most creative with us. So, uh, you know, we'll go into... I've done this a number of different times now where we move into a smaller square footage and we, we expand by, you know, bay by bay and it's coterminous at the same rate. And the guy basically just has free rent on that space until he needs it. Hmm. So that's a really creative way that we've been able to be pretty successful. The other ways are, um, you know, getting the landlord to cover a lot of your capex of launching a building. That's pretty tough to do, but some, in some cases, you know, we can get the landlord to cover all your racking, all of your forklifts, your conveyors, um, some of those type things that are really cost, you know, it's just, it, it's so expensive to go launch a building uh, and buy all of those things. So sometimes we can get the landlords to cover those costs and, it, it, and you roll it into the lease. So you're paying for it. You're just paying for it over time instead of paying for it all up front type deal. Um, but we've gotten creative there. And then, you know, some other things are just, you know, clearly you want to fight for free rent and the lowest rate you can, but then getting a cap on the HVAC and cap on operating expenses and some of those things where, you know, there's, they're not exposed to um, the HVAC system going out and then they got to replace a $10,000 unit. You know, that that's a big deal. Believe it or not, a lot of, a lot of cases, if you don't get a cap on HVAC and that thing goes out in the seventh year of a eight year lease, then, you got to put a new one in and the landlord basically gets a new HVAC system for free if you don't really protect them against that. So tenants get caught on that all the time. So you got to make sure you watch out for that too. But mm. Yeah, that's good points. Um, and I guess some of we haven't really talked about, can you talk about what 3PL stands for? Oh yeah. Yeah. So a 3PL is basically, it's a third party logistics provider. So think, 
think Amazon, but, or think of it like this. When you swipe up on Instagram and you buy something off of somebody's direct website, not Amazon, but off their direct website, um, it comes from a 3PL. So um, that three, that website is connected to the WMS system, warehouse management system of a warehouse company. And as soon as you place the order, it sends the order to that warehouse and the guy goes and grabs the item, throws it in a box and then throws it on the, the FedEx truck and ships it right to your house. So um, it's basically just a third party that manages all the warehousing distribution for a lot of these brands. That's what a 3PL is. Hmm. So through COVID, you mentioned kind of what you look for from the tenant side, but as you're reviewing spaces, you know, the spaces that are coming on the ground now, are you starting to see any changes? I mean, have they, you know, are they, are they putting in, you know, nine foot more garage doors or, you know, are the bays different or are, are there any innovations in the space that you've seen recently? Yeah, absolutely. So all the new buildings, one, the sprinkler systems are getting better and better and better. Uh, and that's a big deal because the fire marshals are getting stricter and stricter and stricter. So um, with how high you can rack. Um, but with that, I mean, these, these buildings are used to a 28 foot clear building was, was a tall. I mean, that was a big building. Now a big building is 40 feet. I mean, they're, they're, they're building these things higher and higher and higher and higher. And in some cases, like you go into cold storage buildings and they're building them you know, 60 feet. And it's just crazy how high they're getting. Um, yeah. So that, that's been the biggest change. Um, and then also the base spacings, like you said, the base spacings are getting bigger and bigger because um, a lot of times if the bays are really, really tight and there's a lot of poles in there, it's really hard for them to, to, to build out a really efficient space in the warehouse and, and operate it at the, you know, at the highest level. Um, so the wider the base spacings, the more racking and the more, um, the more pallet positions I can get in one building. And then the higher it is, you know, I can take advantage of that cubic foot, right? Cause you don't pay taxes or rent on air. So the higher you can go, the better for these tenants for sure. You know, are you, you know, are you starting to see, obviously there's a huge demand for the amount of supply, you know, so I guess, are you starting to see bidding wars and, and sometimes obviously a tenant has a wish list, but you know, in order for them to win a deal, you know, maybe they have to, you know, eat up some concessions or, you know, it's, it's just you're involved in a very difficult contract negotiation. So, you know, are you starting to see a lot more bidding wars for space? You know, that's a good question. So absolutely in the Inland Empire, which is Southern California, you get around LA, man, they're buying, these developers out there are buying up blocks of residential neighborhoods and scraping all of these homes and then building a bomber warehouse on it. And before they even break ground, they're signing leases with somebody because that's how, like, it's just, it is asinine out there. I mean, it's just crazy how fast the warehouses are getting absorbed out in that part of the country. So if you've got a lead, if you've got a client that wants a space out there, it is tough, man. Sometimes those landlords are like, hey, buddy, you're not a Fortune 500 company, so we're going to need a... We're going to need six months security deposit. You're going to pay this rate and we're going to give you this much tenant improvement allowance. And if you want any more than that, you guys are more than welcome to pay for it. Um, but we'll give you this much and you're going to pay this rate. And oh, it's 10 years. We'll give you two months free. And if you're like, what? That, that's, that's an absolutely awful deal. Um, but there's nothing else. So you just got to bite the bullet and as a tenant rep broker, it, it makes me cringe because 
I want to go fight these guys every way to Sunday and get the more free rent and get this and get that. And it's almost just, it's tough to even leverage the landlords against each other because there's no options. And, and they, you might have two, but both of those options understand that, Hey, if you don't take the space, I'll wait six hours and somebody else will call me and want the space. So it's tough out there, but in Dallas and markets where there's a lot of land and they can just keep building and building and building, man, you can, Dallas is the best. I love Dallas. I love working deals in Dallas because there are so many sub markets of Dallas that they are just building and building and building and building. So you can, you can really leverage some landlords out here and have eight or 10 buildings that you start looking at that really fit and then narrow it down to three or four and then really make them go at it and, and work them down and find the one that makes the most sense. It's, it's a really good market for a tenant rep broker in Dallas to be in the industrial space. Yeah. And so sure. are there some, you know, within DFW, if you had to pick off maybe three or four sub markets, I mean, what are, what are some of the hotter sub markets out here? Man. So if you're going up in Valwood is what we call like Capel, um, kind of that Addison Capel area. Um, that is probably the most, ex- that's probably one of the most expensive markets. It's really hot and there's no more space for them to like build more, right? It's just, it's totally maxed out in that area. There are a lot of older buildings, but that's probably the most expensive market. Um, and then I would tell you the best market for me is representing three PLs. I tell them you need to be in Grand Prairie. That's the, that's one of the largest industrial markets, sub markets itself in the country. Um, you want to be in Grand Prairie, Arlington area, right below DFW airport. Um, or you want to be in South Dallas and South Dallas has been exploding. The issue with South Dallas is the labor pool down there is not great. Um, but it's getting better. They're doing a lot better job. They're building multifamily down there. And if you're doing anything in multifamily, please, please, please go build it down in South Dallas because they've got million square foot buildings down there that are sitting vacant because, you know, a tenant can't come in and lease that space. They might have all the freight. They might have all the business. They might have, um, they can commit to the lease, but if you don't have the people to run it, you can't, you can't do it. And they, they just can't get the people down there. And that's been the biggest issue with, with the South Dallas area. But, um, but yeah, those are really the two hottest markets as far as three PLs go in, um, in finding good deals and leasing space and Alliance too. I mean, you can't beat Alliance. Alliance is a great area for, not really three PLs out there, but a lot of people, like a lot of Fortune 500 companies, doing moving freight or, or putting their big, like Black and Decker, just put a 1.5 million out there with Hillwood, and um, clearly Hillwood is just an absolutely amazing landlord to have and partner to have if you're looking for buildings because Ross Perot's a legend and Hillwood is awesome. They're based here in Dallas. Uh, I'm sure you know all about Hillwood, but yeah, well. You know, as we kind of wrap this up, Summit, you know, a couple of takeaways for me is number one, you know, relationships is what got you in this business. What helped you succeed in this business is the fact that you did things differently. Mm-hmm. And number three, uh, if you're looking for good wine, Italy isn't your spot. Look <laughs> at Brownfield, Texas. Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. A lot of good takeaways, man. But with that, you know, some of you've achieved so much so quickly. It's awesome to see how you're building it. It's crazy to see your success. If you had some final thoughts, either for some TCU students that might watch this or just people in the real estate community as a whole, let's hear them. 
Yeah, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. This is this has been awesome, and I appreciate you saying everything you said. It's it's definitely not been easy, and it's been, um, but it's it's been fun, and I I love waking up every morning and attacking the day, and and that's what this is about. So, you know, final thoughts. I, I just say there's there's a couple things I learned, you know, through the whole walk on process at Texas Tech, and then kind of earning the scholarship, and and how that directly uh, correlates with the real estate business and man, a lot of it is just, you know, there's five things in my opinion that are, that are completely um, up to you that, that can cause success if you, if you just commit to them and nobody can affect them. It's literally just, it's completely up to you. And it's hard work, um, positive attitude, challenging yourself. That's probably one of the biggest keys is a lot of people get comfortable, but if you challenge yourself, you, you can actually do a lot more than you think you can. Um, and then never giving up and, 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 and lean on Christ. And, you know, I going through working or growing up on a farm, my dad really kind of taught me all of those things um, in a number of different ways. But then that applied when I was a walk on trying to figure out, OK, I'm just this walk on out here and, you know, I'm never going to play. But, you know, I'm on scout team, but I kept a positive attitude and kept working hard and just kept challenging myself versus the starters. I'm the scout team guy. Like I'm, I'm never going to play. Right. I'm the walk on. Um, and I never gave up, but then one of the coaches walks over and goes, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to give you a shot on kickoff. Um, the first game I'm ever eligible to play. And man, I, I ran down on that kickoff in the game. It was halftime of the first game and I got hit so hard. I, I cannot tell you how hard I, I did a flip. I literally hit my head hit the ground before my feet did. And I did a flip, but I, I got back up on my feet really fast and then I made the tackle and the stadium just like loses their mind. Cause they're like, Oh my gosh, that dude just got killed. And then he got up and made the tackle. And I ran down three times that game and got the tackle all three times. So then I, I got to, I got to ride out my career because of that, but it's because I just, I kept working hard and I kept a positive attitude, kept challenging myself and never gave up. And then when you get into real estate and you're going door to door to door and people are just kicking your teeth in telling you to pound sand and get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. I mean, you can have some days where you leave and you're just like, man, what am I doing? One, I'm doing this for free. I'm not getting paid by the company I'm working with because it's just a hundred percent commission. And these people are ruthless out there, you know, and you can really beat yourself up. But if you just put blinders on control, what you can control, work your tail off, keep a positive attitude. And, and I want to emphasize challenging yourself and never give up, man. You, you can really accomplish so many things and all of those things are completely up to you. So that's what I'd leave you with, man. I, I think, I think if you, um, you guys take that and, and, and run with it and apply it to your life. You'll, you'll see radical success and, and it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. With that, son Hogue, grow. Thanks for joining us today, man. And uh, we all look forward to future success for you. Thanks. Carl, you're the man. Thanks brother. All right, buddy. Bye. See you.